Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So I am in the process of doing tomorrow's whiteboard video, and I wanted to ask you guys a question, a quick thought experiment here. And once we go through this thought experiment, I think you will discover, it will be revealed who actually controls interest rates. And it's not the Federal Reserve. It's not Jerome Powell. And why is this important? Because the mainstream narrative out there is that the Fed is going to land this plane gently. We're going to have no landing or a soft landing. But that would imply that the Fed controls interest rates. The Fed controls what is going on in the economy. The Fed controls liquidity within the banking system. Therefore, it can do something preemptively. But if we realize that the Fed is not in control, the Fed doesn't even control interest rates, then we realize that it's impossible for them to do anything other than react. So how can they orchestrate a soft landing when the only thing they can do is respond to a hard landing? You see? But let's start with a quick thought experiment. Josh, and I'd ask you this exact same thing. What do you think interest rates would be right now on the 10-year treasury if the Fed never would have raised rates starting in 2022. So if Fed funds was still at 0%, where do you think the 10-year Treasury would be? And keep in mind, it's trading right around 4.8%. I think probably 4.8%. So you think the 10-year Treasury would be the exact same as it is today, regardless of whether or not the Fed raised rates? I Yeah, I would say right around here. Okay. I think that's fair enough. So guys, tell me in the chat, what do you think? And Josh, maybe you can pick out a couple people's answers and put them up on the screen as I'm uh, going on with this thought experiment. But I would argue that interest rates might even be higher because let's think about this. If the Fed would have kept the Fed funds rate, and this is assumes they control the front end of the curve, which I don't even know they do, but let's assume that they control the overnight rate for a moment. If they would have left that overnight rate at 0% and the CPI would have got up to, let's say, 9%, 10%, 12%, if not higher, are we honestly going to sit here and say that the 10-year Treasury would still be trading at 80 basis points? <laughs> right? That's nonsense. That's crazy. No one would argue that. In fact, let's go to a – I'm doing a full screen share, so Josh, let me know if you cannot – see this chart because i'm we're kind of doing something a little different here can you see this chart josh yeah okay so that's the uh now I, this is the one that i wanted okay so when the fed started to raise rates this is the 10-year treasury yield the uh 10-year was well they started talking about it right around here uh so let's just say when they started raising rates it was at 1.5 percent this ballpark right so if the fed would have left rates at zero and inflation would have gone up to nine, 10, 11% headline CPI. Do you really think the 10 year would still be trading at 1.5%? Of course not. Of course not. It would definitely be trading higher. Now, do you think it would be trading at 4.5%, 4.6% where it is today? Or even go back to a year ago when the CPI was 9%, do you think it would have been trading at 
4% or wherever the Fed funds was, or excuse me, wherever the 10-year treasury is trading right around there as far as the yield. The answer likely, and of course this is a counterfactual, so you can't prove it, but I think there's a very good argument that the 10-year treasury yield would have been much, much closer to that CPI level, right? We would have been a lot closer to having positive real rates because if the market's looking at Fed funds at zero, like, holy cow, inflation is really going to get out of hand. And therefore, if you believe like I do, that most of what dictates long end of the curve as far as yields would be future growth and inflation expectations, then you would argue that future inflation expectations would be higher and therefore the 10-year would be higher. So if this is true, then what the Fed did by raising rates on the front end of the curve is actually lowered rates at the long end if you fast forward to today. So if the Fed is trying to increase interest rates to bring down inflation, but the net result is that inflation that uh, the 10-year treasury yield goes lower, how can you sit there and argue that they control interest rates? And I would go so far as to how can you even argue that they matter? Not based on that alone, but when you look at the data in totality. So let's go to the next thought experiment to show you guys what I'm referring to. And for this, I'm going to use part of the presentation that I gave at the New Orleans Investment Conference. Josh, can you see the, the presentation here? We'll assume that's, hopefully that's a yes. Yeah, we can see it. Okay, okay, good. So let's go back to that. Here is the bank reserves, total bank reserves on the Fed's balance sheet going back to 1980. You can see that was 41, so that's 41.2 billion. This is November of 1980. Now, what I'd like to remind you is at this time, the Fed funds was right around 15%. In fact, let me be more precise. Let's go to the Fed funds, right, which I have right here. And we can see that in 1980, right around November, yeah, right around 15, 15.85. Okay, so let's just say 15 for easy math. And now let's look at interest rates in 2007. So we're going to use that next. They're right around 5.25. So for easy math, let's just say in 1980, they were 15%. And in 2007, they were five. This is, we're talking about Fed funds, the rate that most people think the Fed controls. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. So understanding what interest rates were, now let's look at the bank reserves through that lens. Because most of you know, by watching my videos, now maybe some of you may be new to the channel, prior to quantitative easing, the way the Fed supposedly managed interest rates was through something called open market operations. So what they would do is, uh, Greenspan as an example would come out, let's say interest rates were at 5%. I want interest rates to go up to 4%. So then he would expect the banks to play ball and start lending to each other at 4%. And they would be incentivized to do that because he's basically saying that we've got a bid in there at 4%. So if you don't lend to, if you lend uh, to a bank, another bank, interbank overnight at 4.5%, well, then that bank is just going to go to the Fed because they know they can borrow at four. So this is kind of the way it worked on paper. But in practice, a little bit different. Because see, what this assumes is that there's actual demand for bank reserves, right? If you're not following, that's totally fine. 
Let's go over to a quote from the Bank of England and then go back to these charts and then it'll be crystal clear. Here's a quote from their paper 2014 that describes how or why bank reserves are actually created. See, most people think, and if you read in textbooks, the mainstream media, and a lot of people out there in the gold space, Bitcoin space, sound money, but most uh, mainstream economists, I don't want to I don't want to single out those guys because those guys get a lot of things right that the mainstream economists do not. But one thing that it seems like everyone gets wrong is they have this idea that the Fed creates bank reserves and then the banks lend based on the amount of reserves that the that the Fed is nice enough to give them, <laughs> right? Like if they have more bank reserves, like, woohoo, now we can go out and lend more. We can expand our balance sheet. This gives us more balance sheet capacity. When in reality, it's the opposite. And I would argue that it, 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 if anything, it's the opposite but I don't even think the Bank of England describes it accurately. Let me show you what I'm talking about, and then we'll get back to those charts. So here's a quote. It is these lending decisions, as far as the lending decisions of the banking system, the commercial banking system, not the Fed, not the Bank of England. So they're talking about lending decisions. The bank is out there making loans that they think will be profitable. That's it. That's their only decision-making. I'm going to lend money. I'm going to create money that didn't already exist if I think I can make money on it. There's no, do I have the bank reserves? There's no, am I past my reserve requirement? There, there's, there's no, what's the Fed interest rate? There's none of that stuff. It's just simply, can I make money loaning money to this individual? If the answer is yes, then they create the money, period. And then what the Bank of England is saying that they do and admitting, and the Fed has done this in numerous times in papers that I've read during the 1990s when they summarize their open market operations for the year is that they just look at this lending, they try to project this moving forward, and then they create the reserves to match the lending, not vice versa. Listen to this quote. It is these lending decisions that determine how many bank deposits are created by the banking system. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. The amount of bank deposits in turn influences how much central bank money, bank reserves, want uh, the banks want to hold in reserve to meet withdrawals by the public, payments, other banks, or meet regulatory liquidity requirements, which is then, in normal times, supplied on demand by the Bank of England. See, so what they're saying is the banks lend, and then the central bank makes reserves based on their lending. But here's where I disagree with this, and here's where I think even the Bank of England gets it wrong. And I'm going to give you some empirical data to back up my point here. They say this is how much, how many bank reserves they create is based on 
how much central bank money that the banks want to have to meet these withdrawals, where I would argue the number is zero. It's goose egg. Zero. They don't want reserves. They don't want bank reserves. Why? Because they don't need them. It's pointless. The Fed, the central bank, they don't create liquidity. They're not even, I would argue, even prior to, especially prior to 2007, that they're not even really part of the monetary system. I think there's a small argument that they controlled, they controlled the overnight rate by just putting in that bid. But I think there's an argument why they didn't, why they just followed the market. So it wasn't really the, the uh, most people think uh, the way they look at it, the tail's wagging the dog and not the dog wagging the tail. I think is the best way to describe it. But going back to this idea, now let's go to these charts. So what this implies is that there's demand for these bank reserves. So if the banking system has this many deposits, let's say, there's going to be demand for that many bank reserves. That's what the Bank of England is implying here, right? But what I'm saying is if there's this many deposits, there's zero demand for bank reserves. And these charts prove it. Let me show you what I'm referring to. So going back to the bank reserves in 1980, that would be 41 billion. Fast forward to 2007, 40. You heard right. The amount of bank reserves went down, not up. So the question becomes, what happened to M2? What went from 1.5 trillion to 7.5? So if what the Bank of England is saying is that the more the banks lend, the more deposits they have, in other words, the more M2 money supply increases, that means that there's more demand for those bank reserves for the three reasons that they listed. Well, if M2 goes from 1.5 to 7.5 and the banks actually need or want bank reserves, what would have to happen to the level of reserves if what the Bank of England was saying or if the central banks were even part of the monetary system? The amount of bank reserves would have to go up to the same degree and not go down. Oh, but wait, there is more. What would happen if while M2 went from 1.5 to 7.5, you were trying to get interest rates through open market operations and managing the supply of bank reserves, you tried to get interest rates from 15 down to five. You see, if banks actually needed reserves and you were trying to get interest rates down, well, what would happen is you would need to supply more reserves, right? Because that's, the that's again, on paper, that's the way it works. If the Fed needs to do open market operations, that's because the interest rates aren't coming down because there's still significant demand for those bank reserves due to the fact that M2 is going up. And therefore, if the Fed drops rates, then they're going to have to do open market operations to get the interest rate down to the level they want because there's going to be demand or increasing demand for those reserves because according to the Bank of England, they need it for their day-to-day operations. That's pretty much the story. But what happens when the bank reserves don't move? What happens when they do zero open market operations? Look at this, 41 billion, 1980, 40 billion in 2007. Now, sure, it goes up and down a little bit here, but the, but the main takeaway is they basically didn't do any open market operations, none, zero. And M2 went from 1.5 to 7.5. And the Fed funds rate went from 15 to 5. So how can you argue that there's demand for bank reserves? The only thing that would make sense here 
is if there was progressively less demand for bank reserves. But that would only make sense if interest rates were going up and M2 was going down. During this period, we have the exact opposite. So if any of your friends or family member Freds or anyone out there on CNBC or Bloomberg or Wall Street Journal, whatever it is, if any of them want to argue that the Fed matters, especially prior to 2007, just show them these charts. Say, how? How how does the Fed matter? Again, other than the front end of the curve, and I would argue they might not even matter then, the Fed was not even part of the monetary system. And yet people think they control everything. If you want further proof, let's look at this. This really applies to that thought experiment that we did at at the beginning of the video. These green shaded areas represent... QE, right? So what's the Fed doing? They're trying to bring down the long end of the curve by buying treasuries. So more demand, price goes up, interest rate goes down, at least on paper. What happens when they do QE? Interest rates go down? No, they went up. The exact opposite of what the Fed was trying to do. And this is another data point that would lead me to believe or lead me to the base case that if the Fed funds was zero right now, the 10-year treasury might even be higher. It wouldn't be lower, and it definitely wouldn't be at 1.5%. I keep using that because that's what people think, is that the Fed controls the entire curve, and, and, and interest rates would never, ever move unless the Fed takes the Fed funds up or down. And if you want to take it to another extreme, let's look at the quantity of money because you say, okay, George, well, maybe they're, you know, not really managing the bankers. Maybe they don't need to, but through this, uh, you know, the PSYOP and whatnot, uh, it's, it's really, they're, they're somehow pulling the strings here that would inevitably, inevitably impact M2 money supply and therefore inflation deflate. You know, you can play around with these charts all you want, but I still believe that the Fed is the puppeteer here. Okay, fine. Let's just go ahead and look at M2 money supply growth, 2008 to today. This is during QE. QE 1, 2, 3, 4, infinity. All of the Fed's quote-unquote money printing, right? This is central planning 101, or this is quintessential central planning. 150% M2 money supply growth. Now let's go back to when we were on the gold standard, 1880 to 1895. Look at that. M2 money supply growth, 150%. So whether we're on a gold standard or a fiat standard, it doesn't even matter. Why? Because the the central bank isn't part of the monetary system. Guess who controlled the money supply back in 1880 to 1895? Was it gold? No, it was the banks. They just lent however much they wanted to based on how much money they thought they could make. The exact same thing that they do now. <laughs> so whether the Fed wants to imply, uh, do a rule or the Fed wants to create reserves, whether the Fed wants to take interest rates up, whether you want to put gold in the mix, None of this constrains the banking system. None of it. The only thing that constrains the banking system in creating currency units is counterparty risk. That's it. At the end of the day, that's the only thing that you can point to. You can't point to a gold standard. You can't point to a fiat standard. You can't point to the Fed raising rates, lowering rates. You can't bank reserves, QE, none of it. At the end of the day, if you really get down into the nitty-gritty, you see that especially prior to 2007, I think there's a good argument after that, or 2008, rather, 
the Fed really wasn't even a part of the monetary system. It is totally, totally, even in 1880s, when we we're on a gold standard, gold didn't, we didn't have the Fed. We didn't have the government involved to a large degree, but everyone thought that gold managed the, the, the money supply. No, it was the exact same thing as it is today. It was the banksters, the banking system, the network of banks, banks' balance sheets. That's what controls money. And I would argue that's what controls interest rates at the end of the day. And the Fed is just an innocent bystander. And now they can distort things through their psyops and they can distort things because I guarantee you they're getting the front end of the curve if they do control it. They're getting it wrong all the time. And this is evident by the fact that the, that the curve inverts to begin with, right? Because that means the Fed is taking rates higher than the tenure, higher than the market says they should be. And that in and of itself is an economic distortion. So main takeaway there, guys, is when you're trying to predict whether or not we're going to have a hard landing or a soft landing, and your friend and family member Fred is out there saying, oh, well, we're going to have no landing because the Fed's just going to drop interest rates and then the stock market is going to boom. See, that implies that the Fed can actually get ahead of the curve. That implies that the Fed can do something preemptively. And that implies that the Fed is actually in control or even part of the monetary system. And when you actually look at the data, when you scratch beneath the surface, when you look at the details, and you study this stuff, and you look at history, you see the Fed is not at the wheel at all. The banks are at the wheel. And that is a result of counterparty risk. So if counterparty risk increases, Guess what's happening to the stock market? It's going to crash. We're going to have a recession. And the Fed can't do anything about it other than react after it already happens. And that's why if you look at the inversion of the curve going all the way back to 1950, we've never had a soft landing. We've never had a hard landing. That's why when the Fed drops rates, it's already too late. The stuff has hit the fan. They can never get ahead of the stuff hitting the fan. And it's because they're not even part of the system. They only want you to believe that. All right, guys. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. See you in the next video.